Creating visual content is an essential part of what I do, but the creative process hasn't always been easy. That is, until we discovered Canva. The Looney Hour uses Canva to create images for thumbnails, social media posts, and event signage. Designing custom artwork using Canva is so easy, even the boomer can do it. Canva for Teams is a design platform that makes it easy for anyone to create stunning content in any format, from social media posts, videos, presentations, and websites. Ever since I found Canva for Teams, it has been easy to collaborate and design with a team which makes the whole process so much more creative and fun. We've used Canva to collab with our marketing team, design images using pre-formatted templates, easily dragging and dropping our logo to create professional looking media in a matter of minutes and at a fraction of the cost. Canva for Teams is an awesome way to quickly and easily create branding and media assets for your business. Design and collaborate with Canva for Teams right now. You can get a free 45-day extended trial when you go to canva.me slash looneyhour. That's canva.me slash looneyhour for a free 45-day extended trial. Canva.me slash looneyhour. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 100. As always, joined by the three amigos. We got Keith Dicker, Ice Cap Asset Management, and Rich Diaz, the Tom Brady of Macro. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Boomer, we made it. We made it. You made it. Um, so here we go, guys. Episode 100. I have I have a gift for you. Go on. It's going to be a, 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 a boomer story. Are you ready for it? We're ready. Okay, let's go. So uh, in our family uh, lately, whenever anyone s- uses the word rap for something, I'll break into a rap. And <laughs> oh, Junior God. loves it. My, my daughter has the biggest eye roll ever. And Mrs. Icecap loves me even more because it's, it's a lot of fun, right? It's, it's cool because not every you know dad can do that. So anyway, I'm at Starbucks earlier today getting a lemon loaf. Getting a lemon loaf. And uh, anyway, I'm there, and the lady in front of me, she orders a wrap. She said, I'll have a wrap, please. And I look at her, and I said, did you say wrap? So then I said, I woke up. I got out of bed. I dragged a comb across my head. I went downstairs and drank a cup. And that's a wrap. No. Oh, my God. That was the worst You did that at a public story. Starbucks? <laughs> That's it, guys. That's how you keep things going in life. You have That's to be... Uh... Keith, you look pretty good, though, for a guy that pile drives a lemon loaf every day. Yeah, I know. Thanks. It's uh, it's in so my jeans. <laughs> Rich, Rich, what's up? 100 for you? Jesus, I have absolutely nowhere near the story that you just eviscerated our ears with. Um, not a great week, man. It was Labor Day. I went to a wedding. Shout out to Evan. Somebody who we shouted out on the show. Um, I was actually did you flirt? Car- did you flirt I with did. the bride? I flirted. I flirted with the bride. I flirted, flirted, flirted with the groom. I danced for hours and hours. It was great. Um, at like two o'clock in the morning, I was standing outside waiting for my Uber, 
And I was uh, spotted by somebody who actually listens to Looney Hour. So I figured I'd give him a shout, Esteban, which was pretty cool. And he took a selfie. I'm always quite honored to that. And that was nice. And then on Monday, um, I spent the day working with Pascal and Kevin, who are two fellas up from up north. And they they beat the crap out of me. They cut down like, I think, 10 or 15 trees on my land. And my goodness, is that hard work. I, I could barely keep up by the end. And you get, a, uh, you get a permit for those tree cuts? No, I did not. Get a, don't tell anybody. I did not get a permit for those. No, no. Most of them were dead, to be fair. Most of them were dead. Some of them were dangerous. Apparently, I had been camping underneath a tree that was totally rotten. Uh, so that was a bit sketch, but it was a great weekend, man. And now it's, uh, yeah, the hundredth episode. Wow. We haven't missed one week, which is incredible. So yeah, shout out to Esteban and Kevin and, and, um, and, uh, and Pascal and, and Evan, all these people who listened to us and, uh, yeah, let's kick it off. Let's go. Lots of good stuff. Hundred, yeah, hundred episodes. We uh, were supposed to have a special guest, but uh, I, I think he actually, I think he got nervous. I think uh, <laughs> once we told him it was the hundredth episode, uh, I, I, I got a sense of panic, and so uh, we're gonna do it live. We're gonna do it live. So, um, you know, we had the BOC announcement this week. Uh, I think was it two days yesterday, um, and uh, you know, as expected, Keith. Myself, no rate, not me. no rate hike. Rich, uh, Rich, you're wrong. So I believe you've got a Twinkie for us. I here. do have a Twinkie for us. I will eat it. I was wrong. Go ahead. I have lots of comments though. <laughs> yeah, it was kind on. of um, kind of a boring presser. Well, there was no presser. Um, so Tiff Macklem is actually doing a speech today in Calgary. It's Thursday, the day that we're recording. So he's in there in Calgary. Good thing is about Calgary, nobody recognizes him there, so he should be safe. But um. And the presser's at the lawn bowling club, correct? Yeah, it's <laughs> the lawn bowling club. He's a couple of weeks late, but uh... there might there might be some leftover booze there if he searches the cupboards. Yeah, that's on. right. But we had the uh, we had the three premieres, of course. I think he was really feeling the heat. Uh, remember, we talked about it last week. You had David Eby of uh, BC penning a note to not raise rates, and then uh, I think a day later, you had Doug Ford uh, over in Ontario and. Uh, Whoever the guy is in in Newfoundland, uh, Keith, he David came Fury, out. David yeah. Fury, yeah. There's Those three. people should be embarrassed, by the way, for making that public. But carry on. Well, I mean, it's certainly yeah, does. but it's political deflection. I mean, th that's what you do. You deflect and pivot and move away, and you know, Muhammad Ali, and then you get a chance to, to do something about it. But, those but have... I'm a premier. I'm going to blame someone, but never yeah, myself. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> How's that? I'm starting to like it. Rich Twinkies. chowing down on the Twinkie. Yeah, that's pretty good. It looks Those like a good one. Two of the premieres, though, that are like, I would argue, the most susceptible to interest rates, right? Like, B, you know, BC, Ontario, two markets that are heavily dependent on interest rate sensitive housing um, and all the spinoff that comes from that. So, certainly they're feeling the pinch. Yeah, it doesn't matter, though. They shouldn't have said anything. Um, well, I'm not, yeah, do you remember just a couple of months ago, everybody was giving Pierre Polyev shit because he said um, he said Tiff Macklin something something. You know what I mean? And and said he, he was, should be fired. <laughs> he was rightly derided. I, again, I remember that this is an independent technocrat, and we everybody knows how we feel about the guy, so we don't have to belabor that point. But 
I think it's embarrassing. It's it's a banana republic stuff for uh, for premiers and politicians to come out and and uh, say that they should do this or that or anyone. I think Christina Freeland also took uh, some made some comments about it, but that's yeah. not what we're here to talk about. Well, we can we can kind of comment on her. Uh, what were her had, comments? Like which she, side yeah, of the I fence she had, was she? I on? mean, it was a really it was a very slow. Like again, there was no presser, right? So there wasn't a whole lot of things to parse. We just had some commentary uh from the federal government so christopher freeland after the hold came out and said uh that it was you know a nice welcome relief for canadians and quote my number one priority is to use all the tools at my disposal and to work with partners at other levels of government across canada to ensure that interest rates can come down as soon as possible my god who writes that stuff um, so so, so she... in the bank of canada's defense i think we've talked about about this before you know, in, in a normal functioning cycle, you know, they would have crushed. The economy would have collapsed already. That's what would have happened. However, you, you have all the, the deficit spending by not only Ottawa, but by the provinces as well. I mean, that, that that's happening. And then on top of that, you know, you have the population growth that's coming in, which seemingly no one can count. But Rich did <laughs> spy it when he was out there, for sure. But like that, that, but those two moves are completely overwhelming. Everything the Bank of Canada is doing, and then for the provinces as well as Ottawa to come out and critique the Bank of Canada for raising rates to try to offset all all the bad doings they've done. It, it's a little. Uh, what would you call it, Rich? What I call it call rich. It? I call it rich. It's a call bit it rich. rich? <laughs> well, can I can I jump in there, Keith? Because I thought the population thing was really interesting, right? So. I've had to eat a Twinkie and now I think I have, uh, I don't know, diabetes or something. But I think what was interesting, so from the, I know there wasn't a presser, so I went and dug, dig a little digging. And I thought, well, what I, what stood out to me, a couple of things, if you don't mind, boys, is one, that they didn't mention population growth in the comments. So this is the first time in three months. So in March 2023, there was no mention of population growth. In April, they said strong population gains are adding to the labor supply, supporting employment growth, and boosting aggregate consumption. We've talked about that. In June, they said consumption growth is surprisingly strong, broad-based, even after accounting for the boost from population gains. In July, strong population growth from immigration is adding to demand and supply. And lo and behold, when people start hand-wringing and complaining and the CBC starts bitching about population growth... You know, well after the fact, remember that I think the CBC is a contrarian indicator. So we'll see what happens to population growth going forward. But lo and behold, in September, not one mention of population growth, which I thought was really interesting. And uh, I don't know, I just thought that was really fun. And yeah, so it was, so there you go, Keith. I think it's over now. Population growth is no longer a thing, apparently. It sounds like Rich needs uh, my tinfoil hat today. <laughs> no, come on. Sounds like you're implying something. No, However, I think any... you're apps. I, I was I didn't realize this because I, you know, I didn't read through the the minutes or whatever they had. <laughs> I'll admit it. I was busy doing something else, but uh, that was left out on purpose. That was it. Wasn't uh, oh man, we forgot to mention it this time. They've clearly heard it from a number of different uh, people who pay their checks to say. <laughs> Hey, you got to cut that out, and that's the way the world works, guys. It's it's not a nice, easy, smooth, 
Let's always do the best for everything. Sorry to interrupt the show. Just want to let you know this episode is sponsored by Addy. Addy is an online investment platform that enables everyone to invest in institutional grade commercial real estate. They're the largest real estate crowdfunding platform in Canada. You can invest as little as a dollar to start. I've personally invested in several properties on the platform and they'll be launching a new property shortly. The next one is 20 townhouses in Calgary that are fully rented out or ready to go. Addy is free for investors to invest but they also have the Addy One membership that gives a handful of benefits, including advanced access to properties, exclusive events, and more. Looney Hour listeners can use the promo code Looney Hour for their first year free on the Addy One membership. We've talked about the StatsCan, you know, random number generator, which is basically the, the employment figures and how volatile they are in Canada. Um, you know, there was a good article here that was was published a few days ago, you know, highlighting the discrepancy, right? If we're if we're, our, we're missing about a million people, million temporary residents uh, from official figures. Uh, what does that do to the labor market uh, numbers? And how many of these, um, you know, how many how many temporary foreign workers are we undercounting in Canada, for example? And and what does that do to the data? Um, and so there's a there's a lot of clout right now. I think uh, about the economy. You can imagine again if you're Tiff Macklem trying to navigate this. Uh, you don't even have really how accurate is your data? Jeez, are we sympathetic? I can't believe it on the hundredth episode that we're <laughs> pouring our hearts out for Tiff Macklin. I'm very surprised that that's where we ended up. But we've really come know, full circle. Yeah, we've really come full circle. Can I add a couple more things that I noticed on the on the on the on the presser? Because I, I instead of doing my job, I was actually just reading this apparently. Um, which is something else we talked about and I thought was important, which the which was inflation expectations. So inflation is the rate of change of CPI, which is the consumer basket, right or wrong, whatever, that's what it is. And then there's something called inflation expectations. And you can calculate those based on bond prices or you can do survey stuff. But what I thought was really interesting, which they reiterated twice, I think, in that, you know, very short note, it was a shorter um, press statement than normal is that the longer high inflation persists, the greater the risk that elevated inflation becomes entrenched. And then the other thing is the governing council remains concerned about persistent persistence, excuse me, of underlying inflation uh, pressures. So it's it's funny that they went they they were they paused and I had to eat a Twinkie sadly, but it is quite interesting that i think that they're i don't think they're done maybe they're done maybe they're not done but i think that there's they're worried about inflation expectations and they're worried that this is an entrenched um issue going forward so so do you think they they cause or are they i don't, eat another twinkie. I don't know what the answer i don't know i mean i have my own thought which way it's going to go i don't want to eat another twinkie so i'm going to refrain from making any statements i just Keith, what are you what are your thoughts? Well, it's, well, you know, let's go. You know, nothing is definitive. Like, was it a hawkish hold? You know, is what some people are are calling it. That's what uh, I would call it. Okay, so it likely won't be a hawkish hold then, if that's what Rich is calling it. <laughs> <laughs> what would you call it, Steve? You need a, a snappy phrase for it. A panic hold. <laughs> a panic, panic hold. I like that. Hold. But I think, though, I think what listeners should realize, uh, the reason they didn't raise rates for, for this meeting, so that was, you know, it was the result. We we need to explain that literally the day after we recorded last week or three days before, that there was some economic data that came out of Canada. And do you want to run through that, Steve? I know you had the data from earlier just to share yeah. with everyone. 
Yeah, so it was a second quarter GDP uh, here in Canada. So the expectation, the consensus estimate amongst economists was 1.2% uh, annual or annualized growth in the second quarter. The Bank of Canada's own forecast was for 1.5% growth. And we ended up with negative 0.2, negative 0.2. So the Bank of Canada missed the estimate by about 1.7%. Uh, which is, again, I would argue is not a, a small miss um, in the economics world. So, and the main, yeah, so the main result from that, all of a sudden they're sitting there because, you know, they're, they're wondering, hey, are we, again, the way you stop inflation or prices going up is by either increasing supply of everything, which the Bank of Canada has, you know, they can't do that, of course. But then they can control the demand side, and the way you you know you reduce demand on something, you need a recession, job losses, and all that stuff. So all of a sudden, they got this data point that finally came in to say, "Well, you know, after going from zero to five hundred basis points, you know, maybe maybe growth is starting to slow." And some people are saying, "Hey, maybe the recession has started," and that was sort of the the pretext. That's why they, you know, they. Other than the hawkish hold. By the way, what that means by when when they say a hawkish hold, it, it means the hold part means they didn't do anything with rates. You know, they held they held stent, they stood pat. Uh, the hawkish side it means that they said, "Hey, we're not going to raise rates, but we might raise them in the future." So you know, they're trying to you know play at both sides. So my thoughts on this, do you want to talk about the recession or not? Or well, Rich, I'm kind of curious your thoughts. I mean, as a guy that's you know spent a good portion of your life analyzing economic data to have a 1.7% miss for the quarter, not like a month, but for the quarter, how much weight do you put into that? Like, is that, I mean, that seems like a pretty large miss. I think it's the, the miss itself is, is quite dramatic. I think it's, it's a little unfair for Canada because they're just fewer People or less, fewer or less. I can never remember which one. Fewer people basically doing uh, expectations and analysis on those data points. So I would imagine you wouldn't get uh, that kind of miss for an economy that was like, for example, the U.S. or Japan, where there's a way more analysts looking at it. But so the miss is significant. I think it's a part of a larger trend, which we've been discussing for a long time. Uh, you'll note that the Twitter zeitgeist is now all over the GDP per capita thing. Um, again, related to the population growth, but also related to lack of productivity in Canada, which is becoming a really important point, something Robert Aslan mentioned, and we reiterated many, many times. So I think it's it's the fact that GDP, there is there is a malaise in Canada that is, I think, growing. I think it's becoming more apparent. The FT, which is the Financial Times out of the UK, the, basically the most important financial market newspaper in the world, maybe, um, basically had a whole spread on how basically Canada is squandering its economic opportunity, being the third largest oil reserves of the world, fourth largest oil producer, water, we have smart people here, we have good schools, on and on and on. So I think that that expresses that. Um, just on the release itself, before I, I pass it on, I thought that it was funny that the two sectors that did really well um, were real estate and renting and leasing you'll be happy to know um and the public sector which is also really funny and you'll say Rich, that doesn't do and I... that doesn't square that just like i mean we can get into that but like that doesn't really square for me uh <laughs> Listen, anecdotally and, and i know looking... i don't want to overemphasize just one data point i but i just think it's kind of ironic and funny that the two were uh public sector 
um, and uh, rent, real estate rental and leasing. And and you can look at this up. You can look this up for yourself. Um, you know, all the industries are split up into agriculture, mining, construction, blah, blah, blah. I think there's like 20 or sorry, 12 or 13 of them. And the two ones that <laughs> contributed the most to GDP, one was public sector uh, and yours, Steve. There you go. From all these people coming into the city. So it's always a bull market in real estate. That's right. Those are two, and uh, there's a bull market in government jobs. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> and you know, you know, of course, this is, you know, like ass slapping funny, right? Because, well, I'm just teasing, obviously, because of everything. It is true. However, it, it's also extremely important to appreciate because if, if the economy is weak, the only thing that's strong is you know effectively, you know, one market that's been driven by a number of factors which is the real estate world. And then the other one is government spending and, and jobs. You know, that tells me as an investor, you know, uh-oh, you know, when 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 does, you know, it happen? By the way, maybe a suggestion to fix all the, you know, the wrong, the bad data and stuff. You take the extra million who come in and turn them all into uh, statisticians and stuff like that, Rich. I'd settle for construction workers or doctors, maybe. Or <laughs> well, last week you said we should hire more, uh, you know, data people. Um, however, let's let's go back to the important point here: Is Canada in a recession now or not? This is going to have a big, yeah. big impact coming up. Uh, even though the numbers might suggest that you know we are we are getting closer, you know, to that point. Uh, it, that ain't a recession. <laughs> what we just experienced—that that's yeah. nothing. That's a blip. This can be uh, revised away by next month. I mean, it's not a big deal. Maybe when the new numbers come out, it'll be closer to what you know, rev- uh, sorry, uh, what the Bank of Canada was expecting, and and the private sector, and and so forth. So again, if we get a recession, you're, we're gonna feel it. You're really gonna see it, and we we haven't had that yet. So let's. I want to talk about. Um, two roads that we may take coming up with, with the inflation story and the economy and, and stuff. One is that, hey, it's not a bad thing what happens. So what, so the one that's not a bad thing is that if we do get a hard recession, so it's not this like subtle, like minus 0.2 or something, say the economy grows, you know, minus one to minus two and a half, like which would, you know, rip the soul out of you know, a, a lot of people that, that rely on the economy doing to live. Um, and if, if that happens, I say it's not a, a bad thing. And I'm, I'm not being mean about it, but that's the way a, a normal economic cycle should work. You, you, you get growth, and then you slow down, you have a recession, which will clean up all the excesses. And then, you know, and then you start again. Uh, if that happens, deflation or disinflation right that's the better word maybe rich yeah that yep. comes in you know if prices come under control it's not a bad thing uh i i think it would just slap the canadian dollar around significantly and um it's not gonna be a good financial outcome but that's that's the one that i expect we're headed towards and it hasn't happened yet the other outcome this is where you can get your tinfoil hat back for me rich and it has no, nothing you. to do with what we talked about yet, but I will introduce the concept and we'll see how this starts to play out. Uh, guess what season has just started up again? Who's ball? Uh, ice hockey? No, and no. Football. Well, yes and yes. Yes and yes, Football. but not what I'm referring to. 
COVID season has now started ah, up again. Here we go. So the we yeah, here we go. Uh it's important though, because you know, I'm starting to see the policy response already down in the US. Uh, you know, there there certain states and schools are starting to mask up again. The White House is starting to put masks on. And I think right now in, in Ottawa, the current policy from a health perspective would be this the same as before. And if we go the same as before which is, you know, it does involve shutdowns and, you know, staying home for five days if you're sick and, and all this stuff. Uh, that That's going to put us right back into a similar situation we had in 2020. It may not be as severe, but it, it's it's an, a different environment in that, once again, be, because the way uh, Ottawa is structured right now, so I mean, so the Liberals and NDPs, you know, the, the coalition basically, they are declining in polls. That's what's happening. So one way you offset that is to spend money. So I can see even more money being spent by Ottawa to help people out by staying home and all that stuff again. We're not there yet, but if that situation happens, we're going to have inflation coming roaring back again, not just in Canada, but you know, for the Americans in Europe and, and elsewhere. So let's that yeah, I mean, we a hope small they're not, probability. They're not that dumb, obviously. We've got to hope. Well, I, w- I would imagine, see, I would hope that, you know, they would, every, the whole world is looking back at what the policy response was at that time, and they would conclude that, hey, some things were good, but a lot of it was was probably not right. So again, my fear is that they use the exact same playbook again. And because of the way th- things are moving politically in Canada, I, I can absolutely see Ottawa doing the same again to dish out even more money you know, stay at home and everything. Again, the probability of this happening right now, I'm just going to pick a number there. I say it's probably 10%, but it, it's no longer zero. It was starting to go down that path. Yeah, no, I think that's, I mean, that's yeah. fair. I think, I think just to kind of circle back on your point on possible outcomes, recession in Canada, I will say this. Uh, I'm becoming, you know, I talked about it a little bit at the live event in Vancouver, but I'm becoming increasingly concerned around the housing market and and i think there's a possible there's a there's a there's a whole host of possibilities so like keep in mind this is not you know set in stone but i i really think like the higher the interest rates are for longer um the more challenges that we're going to have just bit and this is a lot of it based on just conversations that i'm having with people a lot of the times i get random people calling emailing asking for advice here's my situation and so you get a whole flurry of of sort of anecdotes that that come in and and one of the ones that i continue to sort of watch is people that are coming up that either they're either on variable rate mortgages and or their their mortgage is coming up for renewal. And for most people, for a lot of people, this is a tripling in your mortgage rate. It's not it's not a doubling. For most people, it's a tripling. And and yes, it's from a very low base, but a tripling is a tripling, right? So it's irrelevant. And so, you know, I had a conversation last week with a you know person that calls me out of the blue. And says, you know, hey, you know, this is my situation. I've got this rental property in Vancouver. Um, it's on variable rate mortgage. Bought it four or five years ago. Um, variable rate mortgage is going up. Can't raise the rent. So now losing $1,500 a month in negative cash flow. $1,500 a month. 
Um, so say, you know, hey, maybe the tenant will move out and then I can get like, you know, a higher rent and market rent would mean I probably about a thousand dollars in the red, which is like, okay, well, it's still really, really bad. So I price it out and say, okay, well, this is, I, I can sell you for this price. And so net of all the fees and everything, you're like, you're going to break even. So I can get you out. No loss. I can get you out. Oh, well, you know, I, I mean, I bought it four years ago. Like everybody in Vancouver makes money off real estate, you know, a break even that's, that's not very good after four years. So I'll just hold it and wait for the market to go up, you know, let, let, let's circle back in a year or two. And I'm like, Oh gosh, like, you know, a year or two. I mean, if anything, I would argue that there's, there's likely a stronger case be made for lower prices 12 months from now than higher prices. Uh, but again, some people can't necessarily be convinced they've made up their own mind. So I think that's one scenario, right? Where someone's willing to lose a thousand bucks, 1500 bucks a month. And how long can you do that? Like, and I think what we're, you're seeing is people kind of hold out, hold out, hope for a better, hope for a better future, six months, eight months, 12 months from now. And eventually they just go, you know what? I can't take this anymore. And they sort of, you know, ultimately a lot of times I think people sell on the lows. And so I'm hearing a lot more of those conversations. I just had a chat with a colleague uh, and he's saying, uh, you know, he had a call with one of his clients. Um, renewals coming uh, early October. Uh, payments going from $2,800 per month to $5,150. $2,800 to $5,150. So we got to sell. And so I just think there's, I think there's a potential catalyst here where over the last 12 months, we've been sort of bailed out by incredibly low listings, low inventory, people sort of pushing it out, pushing it out, hoping rates are going to come down. And and they haven't come down. In fact, they've actually gone up and it, it, the rates have been a lot stickier than I think uh, everyone was hoping or wanting to believe. And uh, so I do think that we're going to see a lot more distressed sales over the next you know, six, six to 12 months, I think, as people sort of slowly come to the realize, like, you know, there was an article today, CBC News, uh, you know, persons talking about a home that they bought in greater Vancouver uh, their payment is going from, so they bought two years ago uh, when interest rates were rock bottoms on variable rate mortgage. They bought a suburban house in greater Vancouver. Their monthly payment is going from $2,700 a month to $6,300. Oh, it's so just, they're, they're done. They, yeah, they're not. No I mean, can... but you know, if you read the article, they say, well, we're just going to start cutting everywhere else. And, you know, if we have to sell the house, we'll, We'll do that, but that's like the last resort, right? And so that's what I'm saying. It's like this person's probably going to get through another six, 12, 10 months, whatever it is. But at some point, it's just like, where are you coming up with an extra $3,000 of disposable after-tax income? It's just not sustainable. So Steve, the, the, so I I mean, I agree with you. I think this is something we've been discussing. I think we were a little bit early to that. I think if we're fair to ourselves, so we we may have gotten that wrong a little bit, but the pushback that I've received from my colleagues and people who, you know, who share, who obviously everyone love to discuss housing is, is that, you know, they always say, oh, well, you know, there's like 20 people waiting there to just uh, gobble up any kind of single family home. There's just not enough inventory, you know, and and that was, I, I keep getting this pushback from people, you know, sensible people who are paying attention. Um, They're not obviously not as knowledgeable as you are maybe, but that's what they, you know, I've got, you know, four or five people who they're just desperate to move into a different house or bigger house and blah, blah, blah. And so do, that, I mean, so how do you address that concern or that counter argument? 
I, I mean, I definitely think structurally there is a supply issue, like a, a, a shortage, so to speak. But I definitely think like that can be overcome over a short period, right? It doesn't mean you can't go through 18 months right. of oversupply. Um, where, you know, because I think like what happens is you see like there's a lot of demand out there. A lot of it's on the sidelines. But when people start seeing prices drop, like people are... Uh, it reinforces behavior. itself. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It's so like Steve, self, what, what happens with, with someone in this situation? They they sell. They decide, you know, they can't take the pain anymore. Are they going to start renting or are they move down market and buy something else? I'm just wondering well, how the supply is affected in this situation. Yeah, I suppose that's the question, right? I mean, are they going to enter the rental market or are they going to, you know, downsize? Um, I don't know. I don't. I mean, obviously, as an investor, right? You're selling an investor unit. You're, you're just you're just going to take the cash and put it in your bank, I suppose. Um, so they're not like acquiring a new unit. So I actually think there's more pressure probably on the investor side because if you think about it, it's like discretionary. It's a discretionary investment, right? It's like you don't you don't have to Extra. own it. You don't you yeah. don't have to live in it. If you're losing fifteen hundred bucks a month, I I think you should just sell personally. Um, Especially like a lot of these units, right? I mean, the person on CBC News there that bought two years ago, and that's in the suburbs. I bet you, if they sold today, they they would profit a tax free gain right. as their primary residence. So, but you know, maybe, like I said, I, I maybe they just hold out and spend an extra three thousand dollars a month servicing. But I'm getting more and more of these anecdotal stories: friends texting me, friends of friends. Hey, my buddy has this situation. I think this is part of the reason. Like you know, when you run you know, a national finance economics podcast, you get a lot of people that reach out with, with anecdotes and, and just conversations in the industry. And and I think we're, we're seeing and hearing more and more of this, that like, there's a shock that, you know, most Canadians don't know who Tiff Macklin is. Most Canadians aren't necessarily paying attention to the daily movements in the bond market and don't realize that, you know, when they locked in a mortgage rate at 2.4%, you know, four years ago, that they're now going to be renewing at 6.2 that the, you know they're in trouble. I just don't think most people are paying attention to that, right? Like Keith, I think most people are paying attention to the 49ers um football season coming up and and that's that's what's important. The Sunday football, it's not you know here here. <laughs> it's not macroeconomic. There's nothing so. wrong. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way, just to be clear. <laughs> Um, no. By the way, I have San Francisco 34, Pittsburgh 13 for, for Sunday. I know there's a few fans on the... Uh, <laughs> We're going to be getting the daily, uh, the weekly updates on the San Fran picks from Keith every week. So that's what you can... Yeah, 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 yeah. It's I, 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 I think it'll be a good season. But back to, I mean, this, everything, like this conversation, like remember, everything is tied together. It's all tied together. So you have one group of people who want the housing market to stay elevated and to never come down, but they want the financing cost to, to come down with it. And then you have another bunch of people, you know, they're hoping and praying that, hey, you know, there is, you know, housing does come down in value. So then they can get in, you know, for the first time. So, um, you know, someone's not going to be happy. And if you're looking, I mean, the only thing right now that really uh, that, that looks, you know, quite positive, of course, you know, for the housing market in Canada is the supply story. And again, you, you can't turn a tap to change supply. That takes a long time uh, for that for that to get fixed. And then the other side is the demand story. And I, I think that's really 
the one we're looking at here. And and again, it's if the Bank of Canada gets their wish, because what they've been trying to orchestrate here is is a hard landing, even though they say we'll get a soft landing and everything. Uh, I think that probability is there. So people who are, uh, they've been patient looking to buy, then, you know, maybe they'll get their wish, but the other side won't get theirs. And that's the way, uh, that's the way Sue sees it. Remember oh, that one? God. Can I just add some numbers to corroborate Steve's uh, anecdotes? Because I think some people, you know, I mean, anecdotes I think are important. And, and but so the one that I think just really stands out for me, um, you know, we've talked about debt to GDP ratios in Canada, which are one of the highest, if not the highest in the OECD behind Switzerland and Sweden, I believe. So in the hundreds of percent of GDP. But the thing that really I think is what you're referring to, Steve, is debt servicing and the debt service ratio. Um, and there's different ways to calculate it, of course. But the one that I like to look at and the one that you can find on uh, on the StatsCan website is household debt service ratio. So debt uh, servicing or obligations relative to disposable income. And so for Canada, uh, the series goes back in, to 1990 and it peaked in 2007 at 15%. And then it peaked again in 2019 Remember when interest rates were very, very low, uh, were relatively low. And I think now he had about... mortgage rates getting close to about three, yeah. three, three point five, three point six, kind of thing. So, yeah. And so now we're about to break right through that. And so it's quarterly data. So the data is going to come out in a couple of months or whatever. We'll be happy to share with you. So we're, we're basically going to break that fifteen number, and we're, on my view, um, we're going to we're going to keep ratcheting higher and higher. Um, just to give you an idea, the U.S. by comparison is basically at a 20-year low. Um, and then the, what the key bit and the bit that we're constantly talking about, which is variable rate mortgages or short-term mortgages or resets, et cetera, is you know you break out that that disposal the debt service ratio into sort of you know consumer and com- uh, credit card debt and the you know, mortgage debt, but you can also break it down further into like an interest component, and that interest component is about to basically if i can do the math quickly is about going about to be a 25 year high so it's nine percent we're gonna in my view we're gonna we're gonna break 10 uh, because not only are the rates moves very very high but the debt burden is is also high so anyway there you go so there's some numbers for your for your anecdotes yeah, those are probably the, the best numbers to, to, for, for people to appreciate it in that because we've hit this the slippery slope on, on the debt side and households are, as Steve just explained, you know, they're starting to experience it firsthand that when rates go up, you need more money to allocate, you know, just to pay the interest burden on, on your loans. And the same thing is going to happen now on, on the government side with federal, provincial, state and stuff like that. Companies are always much better at, at managing their debt than, than households and, and governments. But, but yet, it's one thing if rates go up, then you need more money to allocate. If the economy slows at the exact same time, which is, again, that's where I think we're going, uh, it, it's going to create some kind of an uncomfortable moment, which is called a crisis, of course, in the uh, you know, in, in the debt world. So anything that touches that, it, it's, it has the probability you know, of experiencing some severe stress. Which is not to be worried about in the investment perspective, because other markets you know will absorb that capital, you know that that's running away. But you, but you've hit the point right on the head, Rich. With that, it's we haven't seen this for forty years. No one has seen it, so no one is prepared for it. 
Can I just jump in just to add one more thing? Sorry, before we go on, which is and the reason the Bank of Canada is particularly screwed is because let's say, you know, that we do get into a recession and the Bank of Canada goes, oh, okay, demand is, and then it starts to lower interest rates. Well, because our fiscal position is poor and our productivity is poor, people, the currency will feel the brunt of that, which will put excess pressure on inflation. And, and so- which will also hurt the economy in a different way than we've what we've experienced. And so it, it is connected. And yes, I understand it is circular, but that's the jam they're in. And the jam is they can't lower interest rates because of the other issues that are impinging on currency or fiscal stuff or productivity and stuff. And that's why I think they're going to keep interest rates higher for longer. And we are going to feel this pain. And I don't think... Famous last words, I don't think we'll get bailed out the way we have in previous cycles where when things go badly, they just cut interest rates and everybody piles back into their favorite asset. I think, forgive me for this, I think this time is a bit different. Keith, I'm kind of curious. What's, what's your, the favorite? On that? Yeah, I do. What, what's the favorite market though? Is it housing? Or, or... Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. What else, what else uh, is there? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, Rich is somewhat right. My, my view is a little bit different in that I think if um, I know that once Canada does go into recession, because again, that's just the way the cycle works. I think the rest of the world is going to be going into recession at the exact same time. So maybe there's, you know, one fair. or two quarters may, may be different. So I think the opportunity is there for all central banks. Again, they're all in sync. So they all raise rates at the same time. I can see them all cutting rates again at the same time. I think the only way Canada has this isolated story is if there's, for example, uh, a crisis in the energy sector, you know, and, and, you know, it's boom and bust. So that happens every, every five years, basically. Or we, you know, we, we do get this sort of housing correction, you know, which hits the, the broad economy. But if that happens, it means it's, it's, it's also happening in Australia and the UK. And it is happening else. there. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't think Canada is going to have this isolated moment of, of risk. Yeah, I think fair. the moment to risk will be coordinated with everyone else. And if that's happening, you know, it, it causes the US dollar just uh, fly. It's going to go off the charts. So that's 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 the kind of stuff that we're looking at. What else are you looking at? In terms of I was going to say fly Eagles fly. You know, we're we're staying with the NFL. Forty <laughs> fan. Yeah, of course they am. But every team has like cool stuff. You know, they they could do. You know, but uh, well, except for the Patriots. But you know, it it is a fun analogy. Anyways, to Steve, me. what, what were you? Uh, what are you thinking there, Steve? Well, just in terms of you know, we've kind of highlighted a lot of the macro risk for for Canada, you know, the concerns around housing, high levels of indebtedness. What are we what else are we looking at in the macro world? What's what's kind of caught your eye uh in the last little while? I know we've been kind of watching oil. We've been watching oil and energy here. You go ahead, Keith. Okay. Uh, so that, that's, I think the story continues. I mean, we brought it up a few weeks ago. You know, we talked about China, of course, and in Japan. Those stories have not gotten any better. So that that hasn't changed. I think the one that's really starting to accelerate now as well is the, uh, you know, it, is how weak the European economy is, specifically in, in Germany. 
So for for Germany to do for Germany to be weak, I mean that again, you have to be able to see the world from a global perspective. That reconciles with China being weak, right? Because China is, you know, they they like the Mercedes and and stuff like that. Um, well, what else do they make in Germany? Their supply chains are are linked together. <laughs> anyway, well, I sure. didn't know that. No, I'm just joking. But you see what I mean? Like that that's happening. I think the energy story it's moving along the way that we we thought it would. So I mean, so we're we're making money there, but there hasn't been um, you know this this big change you know since we've been bringing this up over the last few weeks if if anything we just continue to sort of you know slope and roll over does that make sense slope and roll slope over and it's rolling trending over. lower it's trending lower what what do you what do you think Rich? i was gonna say the, the positive things that i see are the u.s consumer um yes there's some cracks there we've talked about delinquency rates for the auto sector and delinquency rates for the credit cards which have started to really ratchet higher and higher um, but because of some similar um, supply dynamics in the housing sector, um, people basically stuck in their homes, uh, house prices have started to creep back higher, got the wealth effect from like a relatively strong, um, strong stock market, the ISM services, which came out um, last week, we've talked about, you know, my favorite, or this week or last week, shit, I forgot. Um, anyway, so it came out basically, and it showed an improvement in um the app the willingness to employ people sorry it was yesterday excuse me um yeah so ISM services which is you know the US is 75% roughly um services and 25% manufacturing you know more or less um and so that's shown sort of an improvement and that was on the employment side and the prices side and the new order side um so yeah I'd say on the positives by, by the way that that number you know it is you know the consumer makes up 70% of the yeah. economy I mean it's it, it's not cool it's not quite right because what what's wrong with it? And again, this is like splitting the hairs that have already been split. I love it. I love my new been, shit. Go for it. You know they they've been you know someone backed up over them a, a few times, um, but that includes healthcare spending, right? So all the money that goes into healthcare, you know, it's 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 not really consumer spending, so to speak. Right. You know, consumer spending is you know like buying a bag of chips and going to Old Navy. You know, kind of stuff that I do, but it's uh, I mean, it's just an aside. It doesn't change oh, I thought you were anything. Gonna be even more, I thought you were going to be even more pedantic than that because you could like, what is a service like and what's manufacturing? Like is making a pizza manufacturing or is it services and why and why not? My old boss, Luca Paolini, shout out to him. He and I had a full argument as to what defines services and manufacturing. You're right, Keith. There's a load. It's, you know, it's quite it blurred. The lines get blurred, but. I think making a pizza is an art, by the way. It's not a, a process <laughs> well, at I all. I think it's manufacturing. <laughs> Boo. Anyway. anyway, there you go. Big pizza guy. But there are some uh, differences in the Canada-US housing market, Rich, obviously on the supply side, which we talked about in this episode, is, is you know, I don't think you have to worry about you know cash flow negative investors per se as much in the US or you know, cycle, house. No. Yeah, exactly. Households saying, oh my gosh, my mortgage rate's tripling and went on renewal. Like again, if you're locking in for 30 years, I mean, there's there's certainly incentive just to sort of stay put. Um, what's interesting to see is like in Canada, right? We've got surging rents. I mean, obviously population growth, which you've been apparently undercounting by millions of people. So you've got this massive rent growth um, that's happening in Canada. But if you look at the US, and this is 
potentially going to play into the inflation story in the near future. Uh, year-over-year effective asking rents uh, in the U.S. inched up on a year-over-year basis just 0.28% in August, and they could turn negative by September. Uh, so you could see asking rents, annualized rent growth in the United States uh, for apartments turn negative uh, as soon as September, which is kind of different than what's happening here in Canada. So perhaps that sort of starts to change a bit of the inflation stuff. Um, but you're contending that with rising, you know, gas prices. Uh, so it's, it's a, I mean, it's God, it's a complicated picture, right? I mean, well, let's don't, 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 uh, you don't give up on that point because that the Brent, which is one of the, I mean, there's different ways to calculate oil prices and oil is delivered in different quantities and, thicknesses and sulfur contents and whatever but brent is one of the most important one the other being wti west texas intermediate and there's the canadian special west special select anyways whatever but brent basically just hit 90 dollars i'm not sure if we're there right now so that inflation thing steve based purely on energy is going to be really interesting going over the next like few months um so yeah don't let's 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 keep that to mind as we go you know towards the end of the year so by, by the yeah, way, Brent is uh, that's that's the European right measure. Sorry. Yeah, so no no one worries about that. It is the what the w, it is know. the WTI the West Texas that's what, intermediary. That's, that's wrong. First of all, it's, everyone cares about Brent. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> they the, care about uh, both of them. It's <laughs> WCS uh, Western Canadian Select is is the Canadian version. But ours is way. Are the the Canadian Select uh, trades at a massive discount to where it should be because we don't have pipelines and we can't get the oil to where it needs to be, which is the refineries in the United States. And that's because Canada has a high sulfur content, and you need a high sulfur content to mix with the light sweet crude out of America to, in order to produce all the wonderful products and um, fuel oils that we use every day. Anyway, sorry, I'll I'll, I'll bite my tongue now. Right. Uh, <laughs> as a segue into Europe, the ECB has their meeting okay. uh, next week, Thursday, and the uh, the Yanks are out. I think it's September twentieth for, for the Americans, so a couple of weeks from now. Um, so, so right now, the expectation is that the Europeans are done; they're done raising rates. So that will be a live meeting next week. Uh, if if they do raise rates, it will not be expected, and Euro will just fly on on the news if, if that happens. So I, I suspect next week for Europe, the ECB, it'll be like like the Canadians. It'll be what do we call it, Steve? What was it? Economic hockey's hold. The hockey's hold. Right. Panic pause. The panic. <laughs> I like that one better. Yeah, Actually, too. that yeah, the panic pause. I like that one. I think they have the button there, like you know, the the panic. But what about the political we have pause? <laughs> I mean, I think if you're the BOC, you got to hit the panic pause, seeing GDP contract like that, way off your estimates. But uh, I think I'm surprised they haven't quit. I, honestly, it's uh, it, it's it's hopeless. Um, but again, let's let's stick with the the Europeans because that is the big market mover next week. I mean, like Canada's done. So uh, actually, Canada, we have, I think we have European. Sorry, uh, we have uh, employment data. Is it tomorrow, Rich? Oh, you got me. Hold on. The random number number generator tomorrow? The random number generator. Anywhere from minus 400 to plus 400. Yeah, but tomorrow we got building permits and IP, uh, IV PMIs. I don't see the employment numbers from Canada come out tomorrow. Maybe I got it wrong. Hey, how much Anyways. stock do you guys put into this uh, 
Central Bank of Poland surprising cutting rate is 75 bips. Sorry, guy, it's the 8th. Uh, Rich, Sep 8th, September the 8th, net change in employment. So we will see that. So tomorrow, uh, so, you know, I see, you know, this is, we're recording today, Thursday. So tomorrow, Friday, you'll get the employment number coming out. This is for Canada, yeah? Yeah, yeah, for the Canadians. So we will have that tomorrow. How much uh, stock all. do we put into that? Especially we've been undercounting our population by a million people. This, this will move the currency big time. It, it always. Oh, I know will, it does, right? but it's almost kind of ridiculous that it does. Yeah, because you can get the re- the thing like people should probably realize and appreciate is that, like for example, for tomorrow the Canadian jobs number, uh, the net change is seventeen and a half thousand jobs created, and so just say the number whatever it comes out to say it comes out as thirty. It's like holy smokes, that, that was that was a huge beat. But if you want to be a you know, proper analyst, you got to look back and say, what did they revise here? So if, if they revise the previous month downward, it means that the current month data, you know, will be a lot stronger than it was expected. So I'm, I'm just saying, don't get, you know, just, uh, dissuaded with the data point when it comes out. You, you immediately have to check what happened to the previous month. What did they revise here? So so for I know for the Americans, I think they always post the two-month average number, which, which accounts for the revision, which I think is the proper thing to do, uh, but not for the random number generator. We need more analysts, right, Rich? Yes, we need we more. Do. More. But, but Steve, you were talking about Poland and, and cutting rates. They're not the... It's funny how the emerging markets have sort of led this rate hike cycle, and now they're leading the rate cutting cycle. So the, when every all when all the central bankers in the developed world were still talking about this transitory BS, um, it's Latin American central banks were the first really to, to raise rates, followed by the Asian ex Japan, because Japan never raises anything, and um, and um, and then now it's interesting to see Chile was the first to cut. Then followed by Brazil, I think eight days later. Mexico hasn't cut, but they'll probably be coming on soon. And so it's interesting to see Poland doing it too. And I don't know who it's it's funny how there's a sort of a shift in leadership. Again, the most important central bank is the Fed, I get it, but it is interesting to see that Poland's cutting and and all these sort of emerging markets are doing that. I think the other like in line with the emerging market uh story, if, if anyone's watching uh a CNY, so that's that's the Chinese currency it's it's inching it its way up there and of course in the investment world we always make things complicated going up is actually going down if you want to think of it that way uh but the uh but the yuan is now at seven almost 733 so uh they the chinese have been letting it deteriorate slowly and slowly so they'll you could see a situation where the chinese and and, and the japanese come out in, in tandem you know, to protect their currency, like in one of these big banks. And it would, like in, in my mind, if that happens, uh, I would use that as an opportunity then to go short again on it. So it's just a temporary, you know, sort of bark or, or bite they would use. But w- watch this magic line in, in the sand for CNY. Like at the 733 number, it's, it's, it's pretty important. And uh, a lot of people are, are watching that. Because remember, if, yeah. you know, if, if that panned in the room, by the way, Steve, like I, I love that gif that you that you gif That's or gif. So what would you call it? A gif? I don't yeah. know the cool words. GIF. GIF? Okay. GIF? It's a gif. Cliff? <laughs> tiff. Rap? It's a tiff. We should call say, it. 
Did someone say rap? I woke up. I got out of bed. Oh, no, 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 no. And <laughs> no, uh, is hilarious, by the way. But yeah, he goes in, you know, he just cleans house. Uh, but if that would happen, um, Canadians that don't like inflation, they'll be happy with it. They won't be happy with losing their job, but at least the things won't be as expensive anymore. At least you can renew your mortgage at a lower rate. It's not a one-way street, guys, or even a two-way street. It was uh, it was funny because when I think you guys know I was, I was traveling last week and we're, we're driving on this this 401 highway and when when I was a kid growing up this this 401 was legendary you know you start hearing the story it's like four lanes and where I grew up you had one lane that was this like there was no line in the middle of the road either every car just drove on it and then all of a sudden they grew to six lanes and eight it was unbelievable. Uh, so we we come back from uh, this trip, and I say to Mrs. Icecap's uh, mother, so my mother-in-law, I said, we were on the 401, and immediately she turned to me and said, how many lanes were there? I said, it was eight <laughs> lanes going to one That's direction. A story. And I, she said, well, what did you do? I said, you just stay in the middle one and hope for the best. I said, they're going all around you. And uh, I don't know why I talked about the 401. But That's a good story, though. <laughs> I think it was we were better than about, the rap. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think we were talking about uh, the dilemma, which is basically uh, people get to pick between job losses or higher interest rates. You pick. I think we call it the old shit. Sandwich. Now remember, it's not a one-way street or two-way. Right. It's multiple ways you can go. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Well, is this I mean, the worst 100th episode ever? No, I thought it was a good one, actually. <laughs> I think it's good. I yeah. think it Those is good. Be- it's our best 100. We've got uh, we've got uh, Ben Rabideau, uh of North Cove Advisors, big on Twitter there. He's going to come on next week to chat about uh, Canadian credit cycle, um, you know, business insolvencies, housing. That's that's his wheelhouse. Uh, I think he's got some of the best research in Canada. So looking forward to having him on next week. It's going to be a really, really great show. So tune in to that. Um, but as always, we appreciate your guys' support. And we'll see you next week.